The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where we will, we will be this morning. Of course, after we finished our studies through the book of Romans, um, we spent some time over the last several weeks uh, in, a, in a series themed off of our year's theme, and of course, that is all things possible. And we looked at different portions of Scripture that spoke to that, to that end about the, the fact that with God, nothing shall be impossible. We finished that on Easter, of course, when we consider the resurrection of our Savior. And aren't you glad this morning that you serve a risen Savior, Amen. that Jesus Christ is alive and that we know that, uh, that He is true and uh, everything that He's promised as, uh, in regards to salvation will, uh, will be available because of His death, burial, and resurrection. Of course, though, um, last week we had an evangelist, Brother Brian was with us, and we're thankful for the time that he was with us and the messages that was brought. And uh, then this coming Sunday, uh, next Sunday, Brother Mutchler is going to be with us, finishing off our missions conference. The following week, I'm actually going to be out of town, so Brother Stephen's going to be filling the pulpit uh, for me, and uh, because I'm going to be finished with my master's. Praise God for that. And uh, so... I have one more assignment, all right? That's this Tuesday at 2 o'clock. I have to defend my doctrinal synopsis, and uh, I should be able to do that. I speak enough in front of you guys, right? And I should have no problem with that, and uh, they'll probably be telling me, your time is up. We've got to go. But I'll be finished with that, and uh, so... On the 2nd of May, we'll be out of town, Brother Stephen will be preaching. The 3rd of May is my graduation, and uh, so we're praising God for that. But So because of that, I don't want to start a brand new series yet, and pause and take some time off and all of that. So when we do return, so on Mother's Day, I'm going to be starting a brand new series here on Sunday mornings, and it's simply entitled The I Am. And we're going to look at portions of Scripture where Jesus said He was the I Am, like I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and things like that. So looking forward to that and exalting our Savior through that series as well. Uh, but because we're not starting that yet, and since we've got missions conference coming up this, this Wednesday, and since we've been teaching about missions in our Bible study classes as well, I thought we'd continue that thought to an extent. And this, this morning we'll be at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, tonight we'll be at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 2, and uh, we'll consider some of these, these things that the Apostle Paul Paul has uh, written to this church at Corinth, and if you may, we'll, I'll put it to you this way, just to simplify it. Paul, you could say, is outlining the progression of the Christian life. He's already here at the beginning of this chapter, spoken about the gospel. He even uses the term that it's through the foolishness of preaching that the Lord has uh, chosen to declare His, his gospel message to the, uh, to the world at large. Uh, but he speaks about how God extends the call for salvation here at the end. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, then he's going to, he goes into speaking about declaring that message and preaching the cross of Jesus Christ at the beginning of chapter number 2. And so with those things considered, and we're going to tie that into our, our missions conference, a missions theme as well, if you would, with me. And so I want to invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and pick up in verse number 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 26. And verse number 26 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made un, uh, unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption." That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be able to gather together in your house again today. And uh, God, I would ask that you just give me the words to speak as I declare your word today, that I'd say nothing more, nothing less than you'd have me to say, uh, that as we hear your word, that it would draw us closer to you, uh, that we would consider how you've extended your gospel call, the call of salvation into our lives that we might know you and that we might have a relationship with you, that we might one day be able to uh, stand in your presence for all of eternity. God, I ask now that as we consider our calling for salvation, that we'd also consider the fact that there are many in this world that have not received it. Many, your desire is that they come to know you, but there's many in this world still today that just do not know you as their personal Savior. And Lord, I'd ask that as we consider what you've done for us, that it would also, out of your love touching our lives, motivate us to have a love for the people you love also, the lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear your good news, your gospel. And Lord, I ask that you'd be honored and glorified and magnified in everything that is said and done this morning, and that your will would be accomplished. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned already in this, previously in this chapter, the Apostle Paul has dealt with the presentation of the gospel, if you may, and he's literally described it as the foolishness of preaching there in verse number 21. You can look at there in, in your text chapter. Uh, while he's discussing this, he's discussed the struggles that uh, are faced for people uh, hearing and accepting the truth of the gospel. Uh, some people just turn a deaf ear, and some people just are, uh, are unwilling to accept the gospel message. They won't believe it. They maybe call it a fairy tale or some archaic type of uh, belief structure and things. I'd also add to this in our day and age, in our world today even, that uh, the, the struggle of being able to have people hear the gospel message involves the fact that there is some that still don't have, have never heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Here we live in America. We have such access to the Word of God and preaching and teaching. You can walk into any church that is on any corner of any street in this, in this country today, whether it be in Arizona, whether it be in Georgia or Illinois or California. You can go into a church today and you're going to be able to walk in there Without freedom, without I'm sorry, fear of uh, of a police officer coming in and arresting you, someone coming in and and taking you away, bound in chains and throwing you into some prison cell because you're worshiping your Lord. We have the ability and the freedom to come together and and read the Word of God freely without any worry that somebody's going to come in and 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 shoot us or stab us because of it, like is regular occurrences in other places in this world today. And because of that, we don't even give it a thought that there are still people in this world that have never heard the sweet name of Jesus. There are still people in this world that they don't have the Word of God in their language. 
And the scripture tells us faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And they don't even have the word of God to hear. But we take for granted. And we kind of overlook the blessings and the goodness of our Lord to have given us his salvation call. The opportunity for us to have heard it. And so he's discussed the struggles that many face in hearing and accepting the gospel truth. He goes on to say that some of them, the gospel was a stumbling block to them, and, and others just considered it outright foolishness to believe. And uh, even still today, our world has its own ideas about God and about truth. Some people say truth is just relative, that it just depends on what your truth is for you and what my truth is for me, and that there is no absolutes. And people have those ideologies this, in our world today. Some people think that there's a multiplicity of gods and that they pray to multiple different gods and they worship multiple different gods and, and uh, they, they have their different viewpoints on how to approach God even as well. But the Apostle Paul here in our scripture today, he reveals that salvation is not a work of man's intellect. Salvation is not something that is wrought through the ways or the works of men, but rather it is, it, it is, it is uh, achieved or accepted, I should say rather, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. As, we continue, as he continues to uh, discuss this very vital topic here at the end of chapter number one, as he writes to the church at Corinth, Paul is now addressing how God has has sent out that gospel call, how he has extended that call of salvation. And uh, from a human perspective, uh, we think of those that uh, God would surely want to call into his work, right? I mean, we've talked about all that God has to do, wants to do still. He wants to reach the world, and He wants to have people drawn to Him, and, and He wants the, the church to grow, and He wants to be able to uh, see the kingdom of God grow as people come to know Him as their Savior. So surely God would be interested in only finding those that are the wisest in this world. Surely God would be interested in only finding those that are the wealthiest because, I mean, after all, it takes money to get things going in our world today, and so he needs a lot of it, and so he's going to be looking for the wealthiest of people to accomplish his work. He's going to be looking for the, the most charismatic and outgoing of people to be able to accomplish his work. Surely those are the people that God is most looking for. Those are the ones that God desires. And anybody else, that's just kind of uh, icing on the cake, if you may, but he really, really desires for the best of the best. That's how the world would see things. Most would think that God would desire those who are popular or energetic or outgoing or, or the best looking. But as we read in our portion, the portion of Scripture before us today, we find that none of those things truly matter to God. Because God's love is completely, it is uh, unconditional. He is not necessarily looking for the most popular. He's not necessarily looking for the, mo the, the wealthiest. He's not necessarily looking for those that have it all together. His love is extended to all and anyone who would receive it. He's honestly seeking those who oftentimes the world overlooks. He's seeking those and loves those who oftentimes many in this world would just simply outright avoid. And God is seeking those who do not necessarily possess 
every accepted attribute that this world looks for today. So I want you to notice with me as we consider the portion of Scripture before us, number one, I want you to notice the assessment of this calling. And we read in verses 26 and 27, uh, uh, 26 through 28 again, notice it says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty, and base things of the world, to, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Paul discusses the, uh, the things that uh, are associated with the call of God, and he starts with those who are indifferent towards this call. We read that in verse number 26 again where he says that there's not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty or not many noble that are called. So he says that there, when it comes to the world's wisdom and the wisest of the wise in the world's eyes, that's not necessarily always the ones that accept the calling of God. Not many of them accept his call. He speaks about the fact that there's some that are mighty in the world's eyes, but not many of them would accept the call. That there's not many that are noble in the world's eyes that would accept that call. And he's revealing here that, uh, that although it might be difficult for those in the world today to understand that it is not our attributes, it is not our accomplishments that God is necessarily looking for. What God is looking for is someone who's just simply willing to be surrendered to Him. I think of the rich young ruler, right? The story of the rich young ruler in the, in, in the Gospels. And this young man came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, if you'll sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me, uh, then you'll, you'll inherit the kingdom of God. He's not telling this young man that he can buy his way into heaven. What he is telling this young man is that he has to let go of his self-reliance and trust in completely in faith Jesus Christ. That's what it takes. And oftentimes we find those that are mighty in this world or noble in this world or even wise in this world, unfortunately, they allow pride in their life to make them think that they don't need Jesus. And so therefore, he says, not many of that time a kind are called or accept that call. John Phillips put it this way. He described this group in 26 as sophisticated, self-sufficient, and society people. Sadly, few of these are called of God. They have learned to depend on their own wisdom, abilities, and status in life rather than to respond by faith to the gospel. Now, let me be quick to say this also this morning that notice that Paul said not many of them. He did not say that not any of them. This is not by any means saying that if you're wise or wealthy or mighty or noble, that, uh, that God isn't going to save that person. It's just the fact of our human sinful nature that many a times people with that prideful mindset will not humbly bow themselves before the Lord to trust Him as their Savior. But he does go on to speak of those that are invited in verses 27 through 28, and he reveals those who are prone to or, 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 will ex or oftentimes will accept the gospel call. And he, he speaks in verse number 27 of the foolish of this world, where he says that he chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Many a times people who do declare 
that they trust Jesus as their Savior, that they believe in the Word of God to be the absolute truth. Oftentimes, the upper echelon in society or those that have uh, credentials behind their name, oftentimes will say they just aren't as learned or as enlightened as we are. On Easter, if you were here, I shared a, a, a portion from a, a writing of a, from a scientist that he's a well-educated man and he's got much training and, and intellect behind his name. He's got the PhD and all of that. Uh, but um, he, he, he clearly stated that he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Unfortunately, many of his peers and those in his uh, career field would look down on him. He's got the same training as they do. He's got the same credentials as they do. But because of his stance on Christianity and the things of Jesus, they would look at him and say, well, he might be pretty educated, but he's pretty foolish when it comes to those things. It amazes me to think that when we consider the whole of this universe, that one who is, a, who is an expert in one field can claim to know more than the God of the universe. Because they have studied the human body or they have studied an element of, of nature and they're pretty proficient in it and they're pretty, uh, pretty much considered an expert in that field that they would then be able to proclaim, well, there is no God. My friends, here, all I'm saying is this, they might be wise when it comes to a certain aspect of this world and of, of how things work, but none of us know it all. So to dogmatically say that there is no God would mean that they would have had to have searched the entire world and the entire universe and turned over every rock. And you see where I'm going here this morning? But unfortunately, even still, they look at those who would not uh, who would believe in the Word of God and the things of Christ, and they would call them foolish. See, the, those that are foolish, they might not possess the wisdom that this world possesses, but my friends, they have access to a greater wisdom found in God. And we find that uh, Paul says here to this church at Corinth, listen, there's some that are foolish, but God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He speaks of the feeble there in verse number 27 as well. And he says, And hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. Oftentimes in this world, we, consider, we hear the phrases like, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Survival of the fittest. And, and uh, you, you, you got to just climb that corporate ladder and do what it takes. And if you're not strong enough, only the strong survive. That's the, the mindset, the mentality a lot of times in the world without Christ. But God takes and He uses the weak or the feeble in this world to even confound the mighty. In, uh, we find in verse number 28, He says He uses the forsaken of this world. He, we find in verse number 28, and uh, not only the forsaken, but also the failures of this world and the forbidden in this world. As He says, the base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring not things that are. When he speaks of, in verse number 28, the base things of this world, he's literally speaking of those that would be the lowest of low. He would be speaking of what we would be considered, that we would consider the vile of this world, immoral in this world, the depraved and the most sinful of this world. 
And my friends, that's how far God's love reaches. It reaches down to even those who in our eyes and our minds just simply don't even deserve it. I've spoken to people and and I've tried to, of course, before someone can trust Christ as their Savior, they must recognize their need of a Savior. They must realize that they need Him. And I've spoken with people and they say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. There's not, there's not, I don't have that much stuff going on. In fact, you're trying to tell me that God loves everyone. You mean that He loves the pedophile that's locked up in prison? See, if there's anybody that needs love, I'm sure it would be them. And, and, and on a scale of things, I'm much better than they are, so I must not need Jesus if they need Jesus. My friend, I'm here to tell you that everyone needs Jesus. And His love reaches down even to the vilest of sinners. In verse number 28, He says, those things that are despised, those that are failures in this world. Anybody ever been there? Felt like a failure? I want to remind you this morning that Jesus loves you. And God, the, the, the Scripture tells us that He reaches down and He extends this calling even to those that are the failures of this world. Look at verse number 28, the last part. He says, which things which are not to bring to not things that are. Those things that are forbidden. Those things that have been just completely thrown off and no one would accept. He says, even those God loves and extends His loving call for salvation to. Those who are without hope, those who have, uh, have no future seemingly for them, He's the one who offers hope. He's the one who offers a future for them and offers peace and joy. But notice, secondly, as we conclude this chapter this morning, in verses 29 through 31, notice the applause for this calling. And having dealt with those who God calls, the Apostle Paul then also, also praises and, uh, and brings uh, adoration for the call of God. And notice the perception of this call in verse number 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, this statement isn't surprising, but unfortunately, it is necessary. See, in the church at Corinth, they loved to make known and they loved to, uh, to, to brag upon their worldly, worldly wisdom and, and their accomplishments and their abilities. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to help them to understand is, don't let pride rule over your life. See, it is not your accomplishments, it is not your wisdom, it is not your abilities that has gained you access to this call of salvation. It is the fact that God loved the entire world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, He has chosen us because of His grace. He has chosen us because of his long suffering. And God had determined long before the fall of man, long before Adam and Eve ever messed up in the garden, long before we ever took our first breath, God determined long before all of that that he was going to make a way to offer salvation and to give an opportunity for us to be restored back again. And that's why he goes on to speak of this position of this calling. We find this at the beginning of verse number 30. But of him are ye in, say it out loud, church, in who? Christ Jesus. He didn't say that you're found in your wealth or your, or your security, found in your accomplishments or in your abilities, but he says, ye are of, uh, 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 but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Can I say this morning that this is the defining aspect of mankind? 
You're either in him or out or not in him. And this is this alone will bear weight throughout all of eternity. We put our we, I mean we put everything that we are and we we put it into one thing a lot of times. That one thing might be our career. That one thing might be a title that we have. That one thing might be our identity and being a father or, or a mother or, or whatever the case might be, but that's what we hang our hat on oftentimes. But none of that is going to ultimately matter when we stand before God. A lot of people live and strive to, to, to gain a, a fat bank account. My fat bank account is not going to matter when I stand before God. Before you start spreading rumors, my bank account isn't fat either, Okay. <laughs> But it's not going to matter one lick what m- amount of money is in my account when I stand before God. All the titles that I could hold and accomplishments that I could earn, they won't matter ultimately when I stand before God. We've all heard, you can't take it with you, right? But then we see the picture of the hearse pulling a U-Haul. And it says, well, maybe you can. But regardless of what we might see, we aren't taking it with us. It can be buried in that grave with us, but it ain't going to eternity with us. My house ain't going with me. Thank God that he's preparing a mansion for me. My, uh, my vehicle's not going with me. I don't think I'm going to need it anyway. Can I say this this morning also? My family's not even going with me unless they personally choose Christ as their personal Savior. I can't get my family into heaven on, uh, through me. They've got to personally choose Him. And we find that the most important position is being in Christ. You might gain some uh, accolades at work and promote up, but that position isn't going to matter when you stand before God. Your position in Christ is what matters. And notice the provision that is given in Christ. In verse number 30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just quickly again, consider the thoughts of John Phillips as he describes these, these provisions. He says uh, that the wisdom is given for the transformation of our minds. That righteousness is given for the transformation of our morals. Sanctification is given for the transformation of our motives, and redemption is given for the transformation of our members. But notice lastly, as we close in verse number 31, the profession of this calling. As we see in verse number 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Hey, I'm thankful that my time going through the masters is coming to an end. I look forward to earning that and all of that. But I can't glory in any of that. That is not my profession. My profession is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And see, my friends, that is truly the only way one knows for sure that they have a home in heaven and have a relationship with God. So they've got to profess the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of religions out there that would say, well, yes, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. You got to believe that and add a bunch of things to it. 
here in just a moment, we're going to have a young lady get baptized, and uh, she had uh, trusted Christ as her Savior. But if a, if a religion says that you have to trust in Jesus and be baptized so that water can wash your sins away, they're wrong, my friends. That water has nothing special about it. In fact, it came out of the well. We have to run it through a filter or else it would be pretty, pretty nasty looking. I'm telling you, it wouldn't be good enough to wash the dirt away, let alone wash your sins away. See, if we are told that we have to profess in Jesus and my works, my works will always fall short. If, if, if my church attendance had to do anything with me going to heaven, I'm going to be in trouble. You say, preacher, you're here all the time. I know, but I'd still fall short because my church attendance cannot earn me a way into heaven. I could help a little old lady across the street. That ain't going to have any impact on whether or not I have a home in heaven. I could give to the poor, and I could give the charities, and I could do this and that, but none of those things are going to work. The only thing that works is a profession in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, if, I, if there's going to be any glorying, let them glory in the Lord. Let them glory in what the Lord has done for them in providing salvation. I could take the time, and we're going to close right now, but I could go around this whole auditorium, and if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, I could ask you to stand up and give that testimony. I could ask you to stand up and tell me how you came to know Christ as your Savior. For me, it would be simply this as a six-year-old little boy that I realized that I needed Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I snuck out the back door of my house and sat out on those little steps. And I bowed my head and just as much as a six-year-old boy can, called out to Jesus and trusted Him as my Savior. Yours might be because somebody come walking by the, uh, down your street, knocked on your door, and shared the gospel with you at your doorstep or in your living room, like my parents, how they got saved. It might be because you were in a church service like we're sitting right now, and, and uh, you heard the gospel message, and you realized your need of a Savior, and you spoke with someone, they showed you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was over coffee somewhere at a coffee shop. I don't know what it was going to be for you, but you would be able to stand up and say, this is how I know that Jesus is my Savior, because this is what I called upon the name of the Lord. We could take the rest of this afternoon to do so. And I think if we would take the time to do that and we would think about our salvation story and then we would hear the salvation story of all the others that are in here today as well, there would be a transformation in our heart. One that says, oh my goodness, God, I can't even fathom how good you've been to me. You, you love me in spite of me. You gave your son so that I might live. You gave your, your son your most prized possession so you could have a relationship with me. What a good God you are. And our heart would be full of gratitude. We would be thankful for what the Lord has done. And we would be overjoyed and praising him and worshiping him for what he has done for us. The question is then this. We would not be glorying in what we had done. We'd be glorying in what he had done question then is this, don't you want others to experience that also? Don't you want others to know the joy that you have in your salvation? Don't you want others to know the love that Jesus Christ displayed when he died on the cross and rose again for you and I? Don't you want your neighbor to know about it? 
Don't you want your family members to know about it? Those are, those are up close. Those are near home. But don't you want the little kids over in Africa to know about it? What about the teenagers down in Mexico? What about those adults over in Europe? God wants to extend that call to them as well, just like he's extended it to you. He wants them to call upon his name as Savior, just as you called upon him as your Savior. But as Romans 10 tells us, how shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Here this week, we're going to have a conference dedicated to sending others so that they might be able to be the delivery service of God's message, of God's call of salvation. I wonder who was the delivery man for, your, for when, you call, when you heard that call. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a preacher. But somebody delivered the message for Jesus Christ, for you to hear that he loves you. Verse number 26, for you see your calling. Have you heard it? Have you received the call? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Then if so, don't you want others to know it also? If you're here this morning, we've been talking about all this, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, could I say, do you not hear the call today? Do you realize that Jesus loves you? Do you realize that he gave his life for you? Do you realize that he wants to have a relationship with you? You say, I'm just a nobody. <laughs> I joined the club. Because as Paul said, God's looking for the foolish people. He's looking for the forsaken. He's looking for the failures and the forbidden. He's looking for those who everyone else would kind of turn, to, turn a cold shoulder to. But his love, he's unconditional. And he wants to extend it to you today as well. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, this morning? If you do me the favor of bowing your head and close your eyes, just out of respect of others' privacy this morning, I'm going to ask a few questions, simple questions this morning. And when I do, I'm just going to ask if you wouldn't mind responding with a simple uplifted hand uh, in answer to that. 